0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Podcast Network, I'm Dana Perino and everything will be okay. Welcome back to another episode of Everything Will Be Okay. This week, I'm joined by a New York Times bestselling author who enlightens readers with strategies to evade risk-killing emotions like fear and failure. We all go through that. Angie Morgan is not only a New York Times bestselling author, but a former captain in the Marine Corps. Taking the term girl boss to way higher heights. In her latest book, Bet on You How to Win with Risk, Angie, along with co author Courtney Lynch, they really inspire readers to realize their true potential. And they encourage everyone to confidently take risks and, most importantly, to bet on yourself. Angie Morgan, welcome to the podcast. Dana, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. So, your book is called Bet on You How to Win with Risk. And I, when I saw the title of this book and then looked into it a little bit more, I really wanted to talk to you because for seven years when I worked in the West Wing of the Bush administration, the, of President Bush's West Wing, I would travel to a lot of his speeches with him, right? And, you know, as a staffer, you've heard the stump speech a few times, right? So you're sitting in the green room and you kind of know, oh, that's he's going to tell this story or that story. And I think one of the most important lessons I learned from those moments was how he would always talk about the importance of Americans being willing to take risk, because that is how our country grows, it's how our economy continues to strengthen and grow, and that you as an individual find that in yourself as well, if you're willing to take a risk. So I thought I would just maybe start off by asking you to tell us a little bit about where you grew up and how this concept of risk was part of your overall upbringing.
1: And I love where you're starting, too, because the story you just told is it's the American spirit. And you have to wonder sometimes what happened or why are we as a society so risk averse? And so we'll we'll get there in a second. I grew up in northern Michigan, a really small town called Kalkaska. And all I wanted to do growing up was get the heck out of there. I was i um, in love with my community. I have great parents. It wasn't that I wanted to leave those things behind, but I was also a really big reader. I knew there was a world out there. So I went to the University of Michigan. And my dad, who had served in the Marine Corps, he knew something about me. He knew I was athletic. He knew I was competitive. He also knew that I wanted to be an English major. And I wasn't really interested in teaching. And he kept reminding me that there were no English factories that I could work in after college. So I really needed to think about these next steps. He turned my attention to the Marine Corps through the Naval Reserve Officer Training Corps program. And at first, I was a little intimidated. I'd never really considered the military. But as soon as I got inside the program and met the men and women who were choosing to serve, I was hooked. These were the best people I had ever met in my life. They were so committed to serving their country. They were so committed to one another. I just wanted to be among them. And making that decision really changed the trajectory of my life we learned so much in the military but the most profound experience i had was learning how to develop my leadership skills and i didn't realize that that was going to be a takeaway until I started working in the private sector where often the term leader and manager are used synonymously as if they're the same thing. Coming from the Marine Corps, I realized you don't, you know, just because you have a title doesn't make you a leader. Leadership is about influence and inspiration. And so that started me and a woman I served with in the Marine Corps on a journey to build our company, LeadStar, to write a few books on leadership. And that led us to write about risk taking. It um, is so bet on you is about taking risks most meaningful in your life. And we coach a lot of executives who just are fearful, fearful Mm. of doing the things that they have the talent we know that they have. And we want to understand why. And we want to give them the courage and confidence to enact risk.
0: It's also even a risk even to hire you. (laughs) I mean, if you're admitting that you're um, maybe too cautious, um, you know, I'm curious about that. How do CEOs come to hire you? They certainly
1: resonate with the leadership message that we propose. So they recognize that Leadership is a verb; it's not a noun. And if we can get more people seeing themselves as leaders in our organization, we're going to be far more successful. If everybody at every level was focused on building their influence and setting a better example for others to follow, you know there'd be less friction in our organization. We'd have people striving to be more successful. Inevitably, the concept of risk comes into play. And I think in business, we often think about mitigating or managing managing risk not really learning how to lead with it. And through the research of writing this book, one of the most powerful takeaways that Courtney and I had was that we think about risk incorrectly. We think about it as going to our bank account, going to the casino, putting all of our money on red 21. And in one like turn of the wheel, we either win big or we lose big. When really risk is just making a decision that pushes you into uncertainty. And that's something that we do all the time. I mean, think about getting married or having kids. Like there's a tremendous amount of uncertainty in those endeavors. Or think about, you know, driving your car for that matter. A lot of risk there. So we coexist with risk in our lives. Shouldn't we know something more about it? And if we knew something more about it, couldn't we be more intentional about taking it?
0: I think that's actually been something frustrating for a lot of people who can do a risk-benefit analysis or a cost-benefit analysis, for example, during COVID in the last two years, that once there were vaccines and boosters and treatments and uh, the ability to actually get back to normal, and there were so many people reluctant to do so. Um, I had a question. I want to ask about some more specifics about things that happened in your life, especially at the Marine Corps. Um, but I, in terms of how you learned about risk and the importance of it and how you th- maybe change your thinking on it. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to ask, you know, was it a risk as a woman to go into the Marines? So definitely, yes. You think about the Marine
1: Corps, it's 175,000 Marines and only 1,000 are female officers. I think going in, I was aware of the physical risks, but there are also a lot of other risks associated with those interesting dynamics. And I will say I had a very positive powerful experience while in, but there were also, you know, it's a it's one of the best old boys clubs in the world. And so I learned how to take risks when it came to conversations, being able to say to people, you know, that's that's nice that you think you can talk to me like that, but you really can't talk to me like that. So Mm. taking a risk sometimes to put boundaries on what's acceptable and unacceptable for other people actually served me quite well. And I found a tremendous amount of confidence in being able to assert myself in key moments and with that level of confidence you keep on continuing to build it throughout your life and so leaving the marine corps um getting prepared to start another risk and that was going to start the company lead it was a huge financial risk risk i like to think about as a muscle the more confidence and experience that you have the more confidence and ability to take that next risk that is going to lead you to that next risk that's going to keep on going from there.
0: When you learn leadership at the Marine Corps, do they announce in the morning, today we're going to learn about leadership? Or is it more something that you realize later on, like, oh, that particular day or activity or classroom lecture is where I learned more about risk?
1: Yeah, really great question. I think it's one of those things. I'm still processing. You know, I'm in my mid 40s here, I'm still processing the leadership lessons I learned in the Marine Corps. So it is very sneaky. It's like, you know, cauliflower mashed potato.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> they, they sneak it in here every now and again. So, where we learned leadership, and I didn't realize what was going on, was at your ver- very earliest stages of training, where you are put in charge of your peers. And peers are our hardest group to lead because you don't have positional authority over them so if you can learn to lead your peers who by the way tell you exactly what they think when they don't like something that you're doing and like your direct reports that prepares you for actually getting your direct reports when you're 21 22 and that's a tremendous amount of responsibility for any 21 22 year old leading marines potentially in a combat environment and they're you know, not that much younger than you. And some of them actually are older than you. So learning to lead by influence prepares you for the responsibility when you actually do have authority.
0: I think of risk as a decision making experience, but that's how President Bush used to describe the presidency. And I would imagine that a lot of CEOs think that way. And in the leadership books I've read, a lot of CEOs are just very comfortable making decisions, but it took them a while to get there. How do you think about advising people who are not CEOs yet, like a lot of people who listen to this podcast um, or read my book, Everything Will Be OK, are uh, on their way up the corporate ladder or maybe starting their own business, which, of course, is a risk, something that President Bush encouraged me to do when I said I didn't know what I would do uh, post-presidency and said, well, why don't you? start your own business. And I had a hundred reasons why that would be a bad idea. And he said, yeah, I'm not persuaded by any of that. And he told me to ask myself, what's the worst thing that could happen. And if you really sit down and you write it out, what the things I say in my book is that first of all, if you're born in America, you won life's great lottery at that moment, Mm -hmm. the day you were born because you were born in freedom and with this opportunity. And likely if you're reading, everything will be okay. You are an educated person. And someone probably bought the book for you, so you are loved and cared for. And all you have to decide is what do you want to do and how hard do you want to work? How do you think about that?
1: I couldn't agree more. And along that... That same line of thinking, if not you, then who? That was one of the most powerful questions my business partner and I asked ourselves at the beginning of you know, coming out of the Marine Corps and starting our business. You see people around you doing the things, whatever those things are that you want to do. What makes them different than you is their ability to bet on themselves, their ability to take that risk. And so if you right now are listening to Dana's podcast and are wondering where do I get the courage and confidence within myself, I'd like to focus on just two words, confidence and experience both help you become a better decision maker, but you may not have all the experience. Don't undervalue secondhand experience. There are a lot of people who want to help you. We call them in our book, we call them champions. You might call them mentors. There are people who love to talk about
0: their success. They can share with <laughs> oh, you. Oh, yeah. Just ask them. I'm telling you, that is true. That is so true. They people, when you get to a certain level in your career, you want to share what you learned along the way and you're doing it right here. And so you are what I would call
1: another person we talk about in the book too, in "Bet on you is a big stager. There are people like you, Dana Prina, who are giving people the roadmap and the inspiration. Find your group, find your you know squad, find the people that you can go to, to listen to, to draw inspiration. There really is no secret sauce. So again, you can acquire maybe you know firsthand experience, but secondhand experience and then confidence. Confidence is really your ability to, manage your emotions you can build your confidence over time so don't think i need this experience before i can have confidence you can build those two things
0: oh my gosh okay angie years ago i remember being at this event where they were trying it was a big group of women i guess it was probably a republican type conference and Mm -hmm. maybe not though it was about encouraging women to run for office or to consider running for office. And come to think of it, I actually believe it was a bipartisan audience because I think Dee, Dee Myers, the press secretary from the Clinton mm-hmm. administration, I think she was there as well with me on stage. And she told this, yeah, it was Dee, Dee. Now I'm sorry, here I am like going trip down memory lane and you are on the road trip with me and we just took a detour. But now I remember it was Dee, Dee Myers. And one of the things she said was she had learned that if you're in a group of mixed gender, so women and men, and you're talking about running for office and you say... Ladies and gentlemen, you need these five attributes in order to run for Congress or run for office. The guys will be like, "Mm, I got three of those. I'm going to give it a shot. But that women will think, huh, I have three of those. And if I work really hard and apply myself for the next five years, maybe I can get to the fourth one and then maybe... I could see if I could take on a second job or maybe get a doctorate in my field and then I'll have the five things and then I can run for office. And her point was that women also, if you only have three of the five, you could figure it out. You can go ahead and jump in. Now, I think you're starting to see more of that, at least for people willing to run for office. Um, But I always thought of that, that women have, they just do, for some reason, have less confidence when it comes to Taking risk
1: and fear and fear. And I get it because the fear of failure is very real. So, what we prescribe in Bet on You is just really trying to, and you described it just earlier like, write down the worst thing that can happen. And our mind has an amazing ability to catastrophize what mm-hmm. the worst thing would happen would be, but then try to glamorize what the best thing that could happen. I have met so many people who never have regretted trying something and not succeeding and i've also met so many people who regret try you know not trying something so just try we you don't even know what happens again the worst thing that can happen probably isn't going to happen right right
0: right and i also wonder if you could talk about um something i write about a little bit and that is the feeling of imposter syndrome and I didn't really know a lot about what, I didn't know this term really until I had been asked about it in mentoring sessions. Uh, This is the idea that maybe you finally got a seat at the table and you're at the meeting and you know why you're there, but internally you're thinking, why am I here? I don't know anything. I don't really know what I'm doing. I remember particular, uh, I remember a particular day when I went to do the White House briefing and a reporter was asking me a question and in my head, I remember thinking, this is, gosh, I feel like I remember this precisely as it happened. I was thinking, why are they asking me this? I don't, who am I? I just, I, I don't know. I'm only like 35 years old. Like, why are they asking me this? And these things that you tell yourself are so strange when it comes to imposter syndrome.
1: It is so true. And I've been coaching executives for quite some time. And I will share with you quite candidly without outing anybody that no one really knows Anything.
0: (laughs) Okay, well, that's you know what we should just start there. Maybe that's a good name for a a good title for a podcast. No one really knows anything.
1: (laughs) No, they're they're just winging it like the rest of Mm. us, and you're winging it is probably pretty good. So, imposter syndrome is yeah, getting to that position and feeling as if you're a fraud. The best way to encounter it, and it really is a long-term strategy to employ, is to start really appreciating and accepting your success. Stop attributing it to other people. And yeah, of course, if there's something that you and a group did, certainly pass along the praise to other people, but internally tell yourself, you know what? I did that. It wasn't the right place at the right time. I did this. I earned this. File this for the future because I'm going to need this to build my confidence for the next time I feel a little insecure. And over time, if you keep cataloging your successes, you start to believe that your success is real, and it's a result of what it is that you've done. And again, it prepares you for those moments when you feel like, I don't know, but this is my gut and your gut's probably good enough for the challenges and situations you find yourself in.
0: It's almost like that advice that you got when you were in middle school, when you had to give your first public speech in front of the class that you were supposed to imagine everybody's naked. Um, just, I guess you could do that at your, in your at your workplace. Um, but don't tell HR cause I don't want anybody to get in trouble. Of course. Um, one of the things in your book that you write about is, um, The book will show you how to weave a safety net to mitigate the downside of risk. So last year, within the last year, I made one significant change in my um, business life career. And it was a little bit traumatic for me, in a way, because I had done something the same way every year for 12 years. Uh, This was taking a risk in particular. And I remember I said to my friend Ingrid that I was concerned and that I felt like I was on a high wire without a net. And she said, but Dana, you are the net. And boy, did that hit me. And I share that with everybody here because, yeah, I am the net. Like there is no other net but me in my life. (laughs) Of course, I'm surrounded by people that I love. I have a fabulous husband, but I have proven that I can be my own net. And that was quite a... Maybe a a pivotal moment for me. I felt like I'd really hit a milestone. Yeah, you could be easily writing this book, Dana.
1: (laughs) <laughs> and the, the, the chapter that you're talking about is Weaving Your Safety Net. We look at a couple of different factors. First and foremost, you know, whatever risk you're contemplating, make sure you can be resourced. You know, you can resource it. I sometimes have champagne dreams, beer budget, and maybe now isn't the right time. But most dreams or risks that you want to take, you can probably really fund and fuel them. So don't overthink about the finances. Just look at the brass tacks, really get close with whatever it is that you want to do, that you have those resources. But two, remind yourself that your talent is your safety net, Mm. that the government isn't going to save you. Your employer isn't going to save you. Your retirement account isn't going to save you. You save you. You've been building your hard work and your talent throughout your career. Nobody can take that away from you. I had a friend who was contemplating leaving an executive director position at a nonprofit and doing consulting. And she kept on telling me like, I have an easier time imagining myself um, on the streets homeless in Chicago than doubling my salary in a couple of years. And I said, oh, my gosh, don't you think your talent would catch you at some point and get you through this next position in life? Like, you know, let's not glamour. You know, think about that. Let's think about these next few things. Of course, the other thing that's your safety net, too, is your judgment. You've been building that your entire life. So thinking about this strong safety net, it's really internal.
0: you got this. Hmm. Don't you know, again, look external for it. It's all within you. So that was actually one of the things I wanted to ask you about was maybe some a little bit of specifics about taking risks, because when I do minute mentoring events, I get Mm -hmm. the same questions all the time. And they've not changed in 12 years, frankly, Uh, maybe around the edges a little bit. But the fundamental questions that people have as they're growing in their careers and in their personal life remain about the same. One of them is, and maybe you could just offer your advice. How do you know when it's the right time to leave a job?
1: Oh, that's a really great question. And I feel like I've had various points in my careers. And I'll go back to the Marine Corps. How did I know when I, when I was ready to leave the Marine Corps was that I saw the next few years and I didn't want that for my life. And it's something that nobody else can tell you. You have to look internally to answer that question for yourself. So a few things, if you're not happy, if the things that make you happy aren't you know, within the constraints or confines of your current reality, if you don't like the future that you see, if there's something geographically or job skill or field wise that just isn't doing it for you, you have every right to pursue different opportunities. And in the book, too, we talk about, you know, the message of risk taking isn't quit your job change your life, because that's not how real change happens. Just because you quit your job doesn't mean your life is going to change. Sometimes you get a crappier job. Sometimes mm-hmm. you, you know, there's a big stories right now about people coming back to the original job because they tried to, you know, switch their jobs because that, they thought that would make them happy. And oh,
0: I haven't just, heard that. Funny. Can you tell me a
1: little bit more about that? Yeah, there's a, a lot of boomeranging going on that in the wave of the past year and a half, uh, folks have been leaving their jobs only to come back to them and realize that that wasn't the change that I wanted to make. So again, you think the grass is greener, you go over to the other yard and you realize, no, 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 I had it really good. That wasn't the right change for me. So when we think about taking risks in our life, it's, it starts from our thoughts, our own self-authored thoughts about what it is that we like to pursue. We're going to get a lot of unsolicited advice from people telling us where they think we should be. Certainly take their opinions, but start with yourself first. And if you're not unhappy, well, if you're not happy in your current context, it might not be your job.
0: It could be Mm. you. Yes. Yes, indeed. That is a great, great point. Um, What about the risk that you take in asking for a raise? How do you prepare for that moment and how do you you know, take that risk of breaking the ice to bring up the conversation.
1: Right now is the perfect time, actually, to ask for a raise. There's a lot of chatter in uh, just the news feeds that I'm reading about the inflation raise conversation, the cost of living conversation, and the best way to go about doing this is to find if there's not a natural event in your performance management process, like a uh, you know informal check-in or a quarterly check-in, but being able to say, you know, currently um, these are, this is my role. This is what I'm doing. There is a significant cost of living. I would like to discuss my role and compensation for my role in what natural events or responsibilities I can seek to get, you know, essentially more money. So again, I think it's a perfect time. I've talk to a lot of professionals right now who see people coming into their business, getting, you know, salaries at a much higher rate, but a similar job level. So right now is really the best time to start positioning yourself and having that conversation.
0: More to come right after this. So on pages 152 and 153 of your fabulous book, Bet on You, How to Win with Risk, um, you get to a point that I talk about a lot in the book, and what's one of the reasons I I wrote it, and it's about anxiety and worry, because I'll do a mentoring session with somebody, and I'll realize that, okay, they could get up 15 minutes earlier to make sure that they aren't late, or... Um, they could make sure that they check in with the boss once a day or so, little things like that that can improve their work life, for example. But mm-hmm. what I find is that they're just so consumed with anxiety and worry all the time. And especially for younger women, I truly believe I worried my 20s away and it was totally unnecessary because when I finally wrote, and the good news is, and I looked back, I'm like, wow, every career opportunity and advancement I had was not something I planned. And all the things I was worried about, didn't I didn't have to worry about. Now, that's easier for me to say now, at this stage of my life, than it was back then. But that's why I wrote it, so that I could pass that on. On pages 152 and 153, you do a couple of things. One, you I'm going to read it one part for you. It says... It takes a little bit of experience to know how you want success to feel for you. Knowing what you don't like leads you to discovering what you do. It also takes reflection and awareness as you think about where you are right now. And then you have two columns. The first column starts with the word gratitude, the second one jealousy. And there's a lot of different words there. Um, Tell me a little bit about this exercise in your book.
1: What we really hope people come to terms with when it comes to taking risk on themselves is that first and foremost, that they start to realize in their life that they can find fulfillment and satisfaction in their everyday quest for taking risks in themselves. So the two columns that you're referring to, it's a really great place for people to do what we would call like a life audit. If the past couple of your weeks, you can characterize your life by either being you know, hurried, rushed, unhappy, disappointed, disgusted, like all these really negative words that not only marks an opportunity to make some changes, but we also want to remind people that there are a lot of people who agree each day with optimism, with hope, with joy, and the sense of winning. And we tend to think of winning in these big, bold moments like we're our society think about those successory posters of the 1990s early 2000s Where oh you my gosh i like, love <laughs> those i did i i may have had a couple of them but you know like the big yes. lion with the sun on
0: inspiration the oh yeah i know what you're talking about so we think about when now winning they're like memes
1: that. <laughs> now they are memes in the the business i think the company is called successories isn't it? yes you know, they're still toting them successories around
0: accessories at the mall accessories right next to spencer yeah. gifts
1: <laughs> but this is taking us back, Dana. Yeah. So, so we tend to think of like again success in these like battling moments and winning. But every day wins, which can fuel our confidence and inspire our mindset. Are possible? It's just really helping define what redefine for yourself what winning looks like, so you can get the host of all these good things. So you you started from worry, worry. We worry about things that probably aren't even going to happen Yep, and are beyond our control. Like always. Is, so let it go. And yeah. you know, it's, easier said than po- the, it's easier said than done, but try to develop the disciplines of gratitude, of happiness. And, you know, sometimes a win for you could be just that cup of coffee in the morning that you get to drink in silence.
0: That's winning. <laughs> <Or getting> the- <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm dreaming of that moment. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, my dog Percy doesn't make too much noise. Um, you know, it's interesting working in television when you're done with your show, like that's it. And if you had a screw up, you know, you get to go do it again tomorrow. That's one of the things I learned here, which is not to beat myself up. For example, if I mispronounce somebody's name on live TV um, or I've misread the teleprompter or something that just to let it go and be like, OK, we'll hit it again tomorrow. And that's a real healthy attitude here. It's not one that I had for a long time actually and i would say that in the press briefings i'd finish and i'd spend you know half the night awake going gosh i should have said this or i could have said that and everything would have been much better i think this attitude that you're describing is much healthier and what's interesting is that your book and my book and all these other books that i'm reading we're all landing in the same place which is that if you have a consistent dedicated gratitude practice in your life it will make you more resilient and able to handle all the things that happen to you in life and to be more joyful and serene while you're living it.
1: Absolutely. And you said the word that I want to really hone in on. It's discipline. It's finding those disciplines that allowed you to build habits that allow you to feel successful, to feel fulfilled. And if you can start there, finding that healthy rhythm for yourself, you can get the confidence, you can get the courage, you can make that plan to do whatever it is that's in your heart, that's on your mind that you've been hesitant to take action on for a very long
0: time. Yeah. You know, life is a decision-making experience and also when you come to, Decisions, you're making choices. Everyone gets to make a choice every day. You get a choice of what you say at the White House podium. You get a choice to say what you say on air. You have a choice of what you're going to do on your morning commute. Are you smiling? Are you happy? Are you friendly? Are you making eye contact? All of those things can build up to at the end of the day, you feeling like you had a good contribution to the world that day. Um, My last area I wanted to talk about was just about um, personal life. My favorite piece of advice that I have passed on since 2009 when we started Minute Mentoring is that choosing to be loved is not a career-limiting decision. That my risk of moving to England to be with Peter, who was 18 years my senior, uh, who had been married twice before, I left my job on Capitol Hill. I had no income. I had never done that before. Like this was all of this was the risk. And without that decision, nothing else that I have done, I don't believe would have turned out the way that it did. How do you advise people to think about personal risk?
1: Oh, gosh, you're talking to the woman who remarried during the pandemic, who bought a coffee shop with her husband um, last year. Oh, wait, what's it called? Well, it's called Morsels in Traverse City, Michigan.
0: Oh. Everybody
1: go get some coffee there. (laughs) As for Ed, he's there all the time. But I think about personal risk in my life. So we talk in the book about kaleidoscope living. It's not just risking in your career. It's risking for joy. It's risking for your life. It's making decisions because we're not multi. We're multidimensional people. We can enact risk in whatever quadrant of our life to find better balance and harmony. So I think about my personal life. We take a lot of risks, but we do so with, you know, with our values, with our whole life in mind, including my boys. And it's led to some really amazing adventures. And so looking at risk, it's like we make these decisions because we get to choose. What a a great, you said it earlier too, like we live in an amazing country where we have a lot of opportunities. And in my family life, we make many choices that open us up to new adventures, new opportunities. So every day is a really, really great day.
0: Angie Morgan, I hope I get to meet you one day. I think we would be fast friends. Um, you've, written a, you've written a terrific book it's called bet on you how to win with risk if you have read everything will be okay or even if you haven't but if this is of interest to you I feel like this book that you've written is very accessible um, It's it's got good content but it's not going to take you you know two months to read through it you will be able to get through this book and you will be better for having done so I think it's really terrific and thank you so much for coming on the show
1: Oh, it's been a really great honor. Likewise, it's it's just been a lot of fun talking with you, Dana. All right, Angie, let's stay in touch.
0: Absolutely. Okay, bye-bye. I enjoy talking with Angie and I have a feeling that she and I would be fast friends and I look forward to getting some of that coffee one day. Really inspiring story that she has there as well. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. I'm Dana Perino. Everything will be okay.